Thanks to Cryer Malt. This is Radio Brews News. My name is Matt Kierkegaard, editor of Australian Brews News, and as ever, I'm joined by my good friend, colleague, and all-round good beer guy, Pete Mitchum. Pete, welcome back. G'day, Matt. G'day, listeners. I should say something different, because um, I just think every time I hear you intro, I think, is it just cut and paste that from a previous one? Because you use the same, um, the same script. And so I thought, oh, maybe I should well, <laughs> say something different, and I just realised I just said, g'day, Matt, g'day, listeners. Which you could also well, have pasted. That's that's probably the like the the one thirty second burst of vague professionalism in in, in this whole we enterprise. Like, we like so, to start uh, out keeping it really tight, and then it just gets very fluid yeah. from there. And we don't. And we. And as and, we said before, we don't even drink while we're recording. We no, we, we don't. That. But also, to, to to be fair, you hear me uh, record far more intros than the listeners ever, ever hear yeah, uh, played through. Maybe that's it. So. Uh, we, between the technical issues and uh, various things. So, uh, yeah, so you really are in, uh, what was that movie where he Groundhog lives day, day over and over and over? Groundhog, uh, Groundhog Day. day. <laughs> yes, yes. So, anyway. But, mate, um, look, we, we've got two interviews that we're playing today. Um, and there's also been a you know, bit more of the continuing shit fight around craft beer. So we might talk a bit, little bit about that and then uh, get into our two interviews. But, uh, you know, first of all, any, anyone that's uh, picked up a paper has seen the hating that started on craft beer of late. Um, Pete, you and I have both uh, sort of mentioned it um, or written yeah. about it. Um, and I, I didn't share one of the articles, which is probably the most egregious one. But, uh, you know, I, and a lot of people have gotten upset at the, the journal who's written it, forgetting that, of course, that she's written something that is deliberately inflammatory, inflammatory which seems to be the uh, Guardian Australia's way. Um, but with all of these things, you know, I, I made the comment in, in, in my article that, well, you know, rather just dismiss something that is just completely irrelevant, why don't you look at some of the elements of uh, the article or the criticism that we're starting to hear about craft beer and, you know, if, if the shoe fits, wear it. Um, and, you know, I think in some of the elements of craft beer, um, you know, some of the criticism that we are seeing is... Uh, yeah, legitimate. No, I see that just uh, while we've been recording this, Prof, you've uh, shared a link from the uh, goodfood.com.au, uh, which James Wilkinson, who is uh, apparently a contributing editor to the Beer Brewing Industries Bible, yeah. Beer, Beer and Brewer, Brewer magazine. Yeah. But uh, yes, but look, it was, it was a nice article in defence of craft beer and he makes some good points. Um, and although it, it, it's interesting that in a defence of craft beer, when he's he says... Um, uh, if you want to drink a VB, go for it, but don't slam the other bloke at the bar whose nose is buried in a glass of Bridge Road Hefeweizen. Great sentiment, except the number of people, you know, you can't read anything about craft beer these days without hearing the complete reverse to all of the mainstream beers that, you know, 95% of the people love um, and, and get great pleasure from. So you, my, my point, and I've written a couple of articles about it now, is that, Craft brewers or you know, craft beer drinkers can't crack the shits and get all worked up when somebody says something mean about craft beer when, when a lot of their craft beer appreciation is based on diminishing, you know, the the, the, the taste and the you know and, and, and the enjoyment that other people get from mainstream beers. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We we you can't get offended if somebody calls you a beer snob when you're basically calling everybody who doesn't drink craft beer a beer yob. Yeah, and, and, and look, you know, I know that um, the, the article made reference to Michael Ward, who's got the beer festival, and you know, 
you've expressed directly to Michael that maybe it's you know you, you don't need to sort of uh, criticise mainstream beer to uh, hold up craft no, beer, but be, be, you know, yeah, some, pick up what we do rather than try to downgrade what uh, what we don't do or what others do. And, and there was a commenter on one of the posts that I made, um, uh, you know, that was that they made the point that even Crafty Pint in celebrating craft beer rising. Um, made the point, and uh, let's see, John. Um, John made the point. I sadly note the craft beer rising did that just yesterday by calling uh, beer that about 96% of our population quite like is crap. Um, point five: If your local venues sell crap beer, gift the landlord a bottle of your favourite Aussie craft beer and suggest they get with the program. You know, look. I mean, it, if you're going to say that, then you're going to get, you know, as you are fond of saying, Prof. You point the finger, three fingers point back at you. Exactly. But anyway, look, you know, yeah, look, we could go on about that for hours, but, you know, it, it is a discussion. Uh, at the end of the day, take take the beer that you drink seriously. Don't take yourself seriously is one of the things that we like to say around the... Uh, drink it responsibly well, don't take it too seriously. Yeah. So, but, mate, that out of the way, any, anything else that we need to talk about? You know, it's uh, hop harvest time at Red Hill Brewery, and we're about to talk to Tim Lord about the, uh, the hop harvest. Um... We have had craft beer rising. There's been a slew of beer festivals uh, that you've attended. Um, anything you know, on the radar that we really need to address mm. that people can't find just uh, by subscribing to Brews News? Nothing I can think of because I don't know um, what we're supposed to be talking about now. <laughs> I, I don't know if we've already. Oh, done okay. Because we've already recorded this. This is the third time now, so I don't know what I'm supposed to be yeah, advertising. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so okay, so uh, let's talk no. to Tim. <laughs> Let, let's talk to Tim. Yeah, uh, it's the hop uh, harvest um, has just started in both Tasmania and Victoria. Um, fascinating uh, to hear the expansion that's going on in the industry. Um, now, Pete and I have just before we started this intro recorded an interview with Tim Lord, who's the uh, head honcho down at Hop Products Australia. Um, and as often happens, uh, you know, we, we went through our questions, we had our chat, and uh, then whilst the recorder was still going at the end, uh, you know. The conversation still flows, and you know some of the best uh, parts of the, the non-interview came at, at the end. So, listeners, you're going to hear a formal interview with Tim Lord, and then uh, some selective editing of just the chat that goes on afterwards. It really amplifies some of the points that we we yeah. talked about, and uh, you know some some of the the some uh, audio, the, the, audio the most... dot points for you. Some audio dot points, uh, audio gold, as yeah. I like to say. So, without any further ado, here's Tim Lord. And yes, uh, welcome to Radio Brews News, Tim Lloyd. It's, uh, I, I think Pete was saying off air that you were our second or third guest, so it's good to have you back. It's been uh, far too long. Yeah, thanks, Matt. It's uh, been a lot going on. It's been a while since we've spoken, so it's good to catch up again. Mate, you're a busy man. We're just into March uh, 2015, and that means that the hops are grown and you guys are all hands to the pumps, I gather. Pretty much, yeah. We've, uh, we started Harvest Down in Tasmania um, Tuesday this week. And um, we started uh, yesterday, Thursday, in uh, Victoria. So just right at the start of uh, just right at the start of harvest at this point in time. So um, things are looking pretty good, and fingers crossed for an abundant yield. And I believe that there's been a bit of rain, which can get in the way of things. 
Um, look, we've had uh, we've actually had uh, quite a, quite uh, regular rainfall in Victoria this year, which has been quite complementary um, to the crop. You know, we've uh, we've had some. Uh, rain at uh, at good times during the season, and um, you know the crops looking looking pretty looking pretty good actually. Um, down in Tassie, it uh, you know it's it's been a little cooler down here during the summer, uh, not quite as sunny as we're probably uh, typically used to, and so we're seeing the hops sort of maturing a little later. But um, no, everything's everything's looking pretty good at this point in time. It must be a very exciting time with the, the the craft beer growth. It must be a very exciting time to be a hop producer because rather than uh, growing you know, acres and acres of commodity hops, um, you're investing a lot of time and money in not just the, the growing but the educating uh, brewers about the potential and the, the hop development you've got going on. You do a lot of hop trials. Um, can you tell us a little bit about, you know, you've been in the industry for a long time, about you know what you've noticed over the last uh, four or five years? Well, I guess, you know, specifically in our business, um, we took a, a change of direction probably six or seven years ago. Um, those that know Hot Products Australia would know that uh, we traditionally grew pretty much um, 100% bittering hops and uh, supplied those hops to the to the major brewers here in Australia. And then we did export a large quantity that went onto the international market pretty much as an agricultural commodity. Um, not really recognised for any varietal difference, and so we were pretty much competing on a price basis with um, the Germans and the uh, North Americans, who are the you know the main the main growers in the world. So across the last uh, five years, five six years, we've taken a deliberate approach to uh, um, try and get our varieties that uh, some of your listeners would be familiar with, like Galaxy and uh, Vic Secret and uh, Topaz and Ella, and more recently Enigma. Um, out in front of brewers and um, with that we have uh, undertaken some pretty big replanting programs to replant our farms and focus on growing these varieties which we know from the work that we've done um, would uh, you know add uh, you know flavor and aroma to beer um, and the uptake there has been tremendous um, really uh, you know, we've got to the point where we've um, virtually completely replanted, or almost completely replanted, uh, two farms, which means we've, you know, we've planted something like 400 hectares of hops in the last five years. And um, yeah, so we've positioned the business uh, far more so to produce hops, grow hops that are appealing to the craft brewers around the world. We saw some news recently that uh, Galaxy is even in short supply, and uh, brewers might be struggling to get some. Is that is that the case? Oh look, it's, um, there's no doubt that demand is uh, outstripping um, supply at this point in time. I mean, we're planting more and growing more, and it's a, it's you know, it's a tough read. It's uh, you know, when we're planting hops, we're really planting hops for a market that's going to exist in a couple of years' time. So you know, it, it is difficult to get it right. Um, but uh, you know, with the with the growth rates in the craft brewing industry, you know, sort of generally. You know, in those established markets, growing at that sort of 15 to 18 percent, um, yeah, some of the demands and some of the some of the uh, brewers probably are going to struggle to get not only Galaxy but a number of other varieties uh, across the next couple of years. And you are set to announce uh, a major investment, a 15 million dollar investment that will see not just uh, production grow by 50 percent, but also the, the the processing capacity that you've got um, expanded. But that sort of investment doesn't suddenly bring hops on stream. It's an agricultural product, and it takes a couple of years before we'll, we'll see those volumes in, in, increase, I, I imagine. 
Um, yeah, to a certain extent. Um, what you're speaking to there is largely uh, the upgrade of our facilities at Ross Trevor, uh, Ross Trevor Hop Gardens at Eurobin up in northeastern Victoria. Uh, the facilities there are quite old. I mean, we've got uh, English-style hop-picking machines, bruff-picking machines, which are sort of 50-plus years old, and uh, they're struggling to pick the quantity of hops that we're growing there. Um, so we've actually expanded now beyond their capacity to pick the amount of hops we're growing. So we're putting in new hop-picking machines, we're building new kilns, and uh, we're also building some new conditioning sheds and upgrading that facility, we're basically going to double the harvesting capacity of that facility with all new equipment, and that goes hand in hand with uh, expanding the gardens up there and, and increasing the production. So um, we already have hops planted now, which will be picked on new machinery um, next year, harvest 2016. So. Um, yeah, it's not as if we need to. It's not as if we're going to spend that money on upgrading the equipment and then start building new gardens. That work is already underway. Mm -hmm. But you, you, we will see the area under uh, production increase by fifty percent. Uh, correct. Yeah. Well, well, we'll see the amount of hops, the actual volume of hops we grow. We currently grow about a thousand tons of hops, um, or we handle about a thousand tons of hops through our business, and we are looking to increase that to about fifteen hundred tons within the next three years. That's correct. What's what's the cash value to to the economy of uh, that volume of hops? Um, I, I might. This probably should be a question on notice, but uh, I'm, I'm just. <laughs> well, it's uh, you know, it's a. Uh, I'd need to probably need a minute to have a think about that. I mean, as carry a, the one, yeah, <laughs> carry the one as a as a business uh, across the last um, you know across the ten year period, we're probably looking at HPA doubling in uh, in in sales um, but we're not just a hop growing business we're also an importing business and um, so I guess I'm sort of just looking at you know top line growth um, we import varieties from around the world we import a range of advanced products uh, from our sister companies in the UK and also in uh, North America and uh, that all that's all part of the product portfolio that we deal with. Tim three years ago or so when we last spoke we we talked about the developing relationship between brewers and, and hop growers and how it was kind of a, I guess, a hand-in-glove relationship where, and you touched on it just then, you need to be, I guess, sure that the brewers will want to use the new hops that you're uh, producing now for, you know, three years' time. Uh, and likewise, I guess, they want to know that if they commit to creating a new style or a, 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 a variation on a style, that they'll be able to get the hops to do it. Is that still, is that relationship sort of... Uh, developing and has that blossomed as you'd hoped it would? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, look, it's absolutely mission critical that, um, you know, we get uh, we get good brewer, support, good brewer support and good brewer understanding of, uh, you know, what a hop's capability and potential is in beer before we sort of launch into growing it. Um, you know, it's a bit like, you know, as I've described to people, it's a bit like um, scoping up a new beer and uh, producing it. You know, there's lots of ways of... Uh, testing the colour and the alcohol content and the bitterness units and all the other parameters we can measure, but let's face it, if it, uh, if it doesn't taste any good, no one's going to buy it. And it's a bit like that with hops. You know, we can, uh, we can look at chemical profiles, we can look at yields, we can look at growth habits and uh, the way these things uh, uh, grow and the way they look, um, but until we actually put them in beer, uh, we don't really know how successful they're going to be. So, you know, we have uh, developed, you know, closer working relationships with a, with a cross-section of brewers who we supply 
um, samples from our breeding gardens too, and that just provides absolutely invaluable feedback on you know what those uh, what those hops you know the potential they may have uh, you know in commercial application for brewers. The other thing, uh, Sierra Nevada recently announced that they've um, trialling or developed a technique of uh, hop oil extraction while the, the hops are still on the vine. Well, on the vine, is that um, sort of is that, is that a groundbreaking technological advance, and is that something that you guys are going to sort of look keenly at? Um, it's not something we've sort of looked at doing at this point in time. I mean, it's an interesting development. It's basically taking, uh, rather than uh, kiln-drying hops um, before taking them through an extraction process to extract the uh, primarily the essential oils from them, they do that uh, with green hops. And that way you capture a lot of those volatile materials that would be lost during the kilning process. So, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a different way of uh, looking at extracting what the hops have to offer. Um, probably a, a you know a far more refined method than taking all that um, green hop material and chucking it into your uh, chucking it into your brewery, which causes a lot of brewers big headaches when they're yeah. you know, when working with these volumes of uh, volumes of hops. So yeah, an in- a very interesting development. I haven't actually tasted any of the beer from that yet, but um, you know the boys at Sierra Nevada are very very capable brewers, and I'm sure they've done done some great work with it. Now, on that topic too, I guess. Um, um Ken Grossman, I guess, built uh, a lot of the success of his business on uh, almost the hops that others rejected back in the early days, where um, a lot, a lot of hops were were bought under contract, and then there were like the you know the tailings and the, the sort of the uh, hop dust and whatever else that he was able to get quite cheaply, uh, and, and then sort of build his business from that. That's thirty years ago now. Is Australia now moving more towards locking in um, both the price and quantities of, of hops, or are we still kind of going, I'll, I'll get what I can? Or Because um, Matt and I have spoken to quite a few brewers, and, and one of our standard questions sort of tends to be the particular, you know, your flagship beer that you brew, if you couldn't get those specific hops, would you stop making that beer, or would you look at, you know, and a lot of, a lot of brewers say, no, look, I, 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 I wouldn't want to substitute. So uh, a contract something that's coming more into vogue? Um, look, starting, yes. Um, we see, uh, we see, we deal with quite a few of the brewers in North America now and um, because of some of the competition in um, accessing some of the more popular varieties, those guys are covering themselves very, very thoroughly um, many years forward. Um, some of them out three years, some of them out as far as five years. You know, we've got... Uh, We've got, you know, some inquiries that would uh, see them locking contracts in out through, you know, 2018 or even further. Ah. Uh, here in Australia, um, we're not seeing people quite that, um, quite that sure of the future, I guess. Um, and brewers looking to sort of buy more so from from the spot market, which does leave them very, very vulnerable if they've got, um, you know, a, a dedicated hop in a dedicated beer. So, you know, we've certainly been encouraging brewers to. Uh, Try and contracts and volumes to give them some degree of surety around this, um, but of course we do understand that um, you know when you're in a fledgling business or if you brewery, you know you're not really sure of where the growth rates are going to be. It's you know it's, it's very hard to commit. But um, I guess the short answer to your question is we're we're seeing Australian brewers start to be a bit more savvy in terms of contracting what they require, um, although not to the level that we're seeing you know in North America and some of the other countries. 
Yeah. It's interesting you say that uh, the Australian brewers don't seem to have that uh, confidence. Um, Obviously, Hot Products Australia uh, has, you know, pretty good confidence in in the industry to have such a big investment um, that that you're announcing. What's your read on the the industry's going? Can can you comment on the level of professionalism in the Australian industry? Um, Are we still in a very formative phase? Uh, Where where do you see the industry going over the next two to three years? Um, If I think back probably five years ago and looked at forecasting this business, you know, I I, I did some numbers around what sort of volumes I thought would be selling into the craft craft side of uh, brewing in Australia at this point in time. And we're selling probably two times now what we thought we would be uh, by now. So we're seeing, I think, we're seeing the Australian industry uh, really starting to uh, show some, I guess, more steady growth. You know, we talk about that sort of 15%, somewhere in that 15 to 18%, um, depending on the figures you read. We're still seeing, you know, total craft volume being quoted at only, you know, three and a half percent of volume in Australia. If you look at uh, Ibis's latest uh, latest numbers, um, but we are definitely starting to see uh, a large number of brewers find their feet and look to the future with a much higher degree of surety. Uh, we're seeing some some maturity. We're seeing, um, you know, investment, and um, but compared to the U.S., where um, you know, as a volume of, uh, as a percentage of overall volume, they're you know they're a bit more advanced than Australia. But I can see, I see the Australian industry is actually maturing quite nicely and really starting to get some serious momentum. And I think that's uh, that's helping build confidence. And um, and um, the more brewers, you know, there's very few brewers we're speaking to that are saying they're you know they're they're they're, um, they're struggling with finding sales. Most of them are struggling with meeting uh you know production targets and meeting demand which is a great situation to be in so yeah i see the australian industry really starting to find its feet and like i said um we're selling a lot more hops into the australian industry than we uh, anticipated we would be doing at this point in time we're seeing a lot of breweries you know hops are the sort of rock star of, of brewing at the moment but even lately we've seen a lot of uh, focus on yeast and brewers bringing out you know farmhouse sales there's a lot of malt uh beers you know is do you think that there is a long-term market for brewers producing you know four or five uh, you know single hop IPAs and we're seeing a lot of brewers that have been doing that sort of thing where they uh, have novelty beers. Is there the capacity for um, you know innovation or novelty fatigue um, creeping in and the, the the market settling back around you know much more core ranges as we've seen traditionally? Oh look, I think I think that's definitely what we're seeing in the U.S. You know, where a lot of people are leveraging that IPA name, uh, just that label, and uh, seeing a lot of uh, beer being sold or produced under an IPA uh, name, or referencing IPA, which really isn't, uh, really doesn't fit in the category. Um, so you're seeing, um, you know, this easy drinking uh, session style beers. There is some moderation. Um, but people are still really, really interested to see what sort of um, you know spectrum of tastes and flavours there really are out there. So, I think there's still tremendous scope for um, uh, well, did you call them novelty beers or just things that are pushing the boundaries and different yeasts and different malts and different uh, different adjuncts, different additives, different things in the beer. Um, but certainly, uh, I think longer term, the market is going to is still going to settle around um, beers that offer 
probably far more flavour and aroma and uh, appeal than sort of what has been traditionally mainstream lager, if we can call it that. But um, there's still going to be there's still a lot of punters out there that really want to see lots of different offerings, and um, you know it's good to see a lot of the brewers still experimenting and uh, coming out with uh, lots of crazy beers because people are really interested in them. But um, you've got to have some good mainstream beers. I mean, let's face it, if you've, if you've got a brewery and you're brewing beer, um, when someone has one of your beers, the best news you can hear is that they want another one of the same um, rather than putting it down and going for something else. So it's got to be appealing to the middle, you know, to the middle people. It must make it hard for you in your business uh, your work day, though, doing the forecasting because... With, uh, in in the sense that hops are much more like a, a, a grape grower, um, a brewer can decide tomorrow that he wants to change his portfolio and just start brewing different beers, um, and just importing grain or whatever he needs to to do that. Whereas you need to be forecasting demand for a particular type of hop in, and it takes some years for uh, production to to ramp up. You don't suddenly turn on a on a switch, you know. You must really sit back and you know look at what's going on internationally, and uh, you know look at what's going on here, and um, make some hard decisions about you know where the market's going. Sure, sure. Look, I think um, I guess there's a couple of points there. One is that um, yeah, there's a lot of brewers out there now, um, even here in Australia, who have um, who've got a uh, you know got some core beers um, which are. Um, really important to their brand, and uh, once they have established, uh, you know, the hop mill for those beers, um, you know that, uh, or they know, or they they anticipate that they're going to continue producing those beers because, um, yeah, and hopefully still access those hops. So that gives us some degree of surety. I guess the other thing is that um, once people have used these hops um, in certain beers and maybe experimented with a few different styles, they get some understanding of of how the hops present in beer and um, gives them some options to maybe incorporate them into new beers. I think um, one, of the, one of the things that gives us uh, better um, or some really valuable input is the fact that um, we're now dealing with um, so many more brewers. So rather than selling big volumes to just a few brewers where a change of heart or a change of mind can be really damaging to uh, you know, the, the demand in the future when you're dealing with smaller volumes to a larger number of brewers, um, you know, you're not going to see such a potentially rapid fluctuation in demand. So, you know, we know, you know, using Galaxy, for example, we know there's a lot of brewers out there around the world now um, that have Galaxy in a, in a, in a key brand, and uh, most of the feedback we're getting is that uh, those brands uh, are growing uh, quite strongly for them, and so that gives us pretty good confidence that we're going to see, just based on our existing, on our existing customers, that... Um, we're probably going to see a potentially a 10 to 15 percent per year increase in demand for the varieties that they're using now. So, um, yeah, it takes some of the noise out of the equation for us. And um, like I say, a, a bigger number of brewers using uh, using the using the hops gives you some security that um, you know hopefully they're going to still enjoy them and uh, want them in the future. I guess all of the headlines and attention has gone to the craft end of the market, but we've seen some uh, announcements over the last year or two since we last spoke. For example, uh, Crown Lager. Um, CUB announced that they were going to uh, rejig Crown Lager and started using kettle hops. Does that have a big impact on your business? Would would they have had to uh, sort of lock that in with you well in advance of, of making that announcement to ensure that they could guarantee supply of uh, you know, 
pellets um, prior to ringwood pellets? Um, yeah, look, they were they were really they were looking at a, um, still still producing the beer with a similar sort of bitterness levels, just uh, using the hops in a different form. So um, it didn't really make a whole lot of difference to the overall demand. Um, they're just uh, sort of reverting to, like you said, using kettle pellets um, rather than extract. And that doesn't have any uh, impact for your business um, in terms of workflow? I guess, and here's where the limit of my science knowledge is, that uh, extract is something that um, I presume can be stored for much longer than uh, pellets, for example. Is, is, am I correct there? Um to some extent, yeah, certainly, certainly some of the hop extracts do have longer, longer uh, shelf life and stability than um, than pellets. But that's not really the issue there. I mean, I think your question is around, you know, did that change what we needed to be doing as a grower to supply them? Um, I guess the answer to that is not really, um, because we were already growing the prides that were being supplied to them, for example, and uh, or some of the prides that are being supplied to them. And um, it really just was a, a change in methodology in terms of the way they were producing their beer. With the uh, the bigger brewers really starting to uh, you know, embrace craft and see that there's they're starting to see that um, there, there is potential for the market um, and, and put some real money behind it. Is that having a, a big impact on your business, or is that keeping you awake at night wondering how you're going to keep them supplied? Um. It's uh, it's look it's definitely part of it. Um, you know we're seeing we're seeing across the board some of the bigger international brewers um, sort of moving into craft and and obviously looking to produce some beers that sort of uh, in their minds match up to some of the craft offerings that are available from some of the smaller brewers. But uh, once again, it's not as if um, those brewers are suddenly going to produce. Um, um, millions of hectolitres of those beers. Those beers still have to come into the market and be accepted by people. So um, most of those brewers that we're seeing sort of launch some of these beers are doing on a on a relatively small scale. Um, having, I mean, acknowledging of course that their systems their systems are in most cases fairly big. Um, but uh, you know, people like Diageo are dabbling in a in a new craft style beer. A lot of them are just releasing them into test markets. Like uh, they've just released a beer which contains uh, Topaz and Galaxy, for example, into into Ireland, and really using that as a as a test market to see what the market uptake may be. So uh, you know, time will tell. Um, certainly, uh, everyone who's out there brewing is. Uh, Looking at consumer trends and recognizing that uh, people people are really really interested in you know getting seeing a bit more in their beer and enjoying it a bit more. Speaking of trends, Jim, last time yep. we spoke, uh, I think the numbers were something like like the Galaxy had sort of uh, had really started to peak, and I remember uh, HPA had begun a program of of getting a lot more uh, planted, and I think the number from memory was something like sixty percent of the uh, total expected galaxy crop had already sort of been uh, pre-contract purchased from overseas brewers. So galaxy was really kind of the, the wonder child back then. Is it still sort of on that upward trajectory? And secondly, is there a, like, if you had to pick a hop that was going to be kind of you know, like son of galaxy in terms of uh, the next big star on the, on the stage, who would it be? Okay. Um, look, certainly, uh, well, we're, we started Harvest for, you know, 2015, as we talked about in the start of the, uh, uh, when we first started talking, and we have, 
um, the demand for that is well in excess of what we will harvest this year and we already have a hold on 2016 for example so I guess to answer your question um, yeah the demand for some of our varieties is still well and truly exceeding what we're producing so hence you know the push to uh, expand more rapidly and the only way we can do that is to put more infrastructure in and um, be able to grow more hops. It's a bit like when you get to the point where your brewery's at full capacity and you take that leap of faith into the bigger brewery so you can actually produce more beer. Well we're at that point where we can't process any more hops so we're increasing our capacity to do that. So. Um, in relation to probably the next hop that uh, we have that's going to do well, um, um, I was convinced it was Ella, um, and Ella is doing well. Uh, what we have seen has is, is been a really rapid response to our variety Vic Secret. Um, that, I think, is, um, I guess it's more akin to what the North American palate is used to in terms yeah. of sort of resin and uh, fruit, and, uh, and they've really taken a liking to that. Um, so... A galaxy remains the, you know, the lead hop for us, no doubt about that. Um, but it's a bit of a race between Ella and Vic Secret. Um, both of those are getting uh, plenty of attention. Um, Topaz, which we were growing prior to releasing Galaxy, is uh, finding homes in brews across the world, which is really pleasing to see. Um, and the one that we're getting some really tremendous feedback on at the moment is our new hop, Enigma. Um, which, uh, you know, we're, we're still in the early days of uh, planting that up and we're still in the early days of sort of getting feedback from brewers on what they think about that, but everything's been really positive. So, you know, it's, it's hard to pick where to, where this is all going to go at the moment. It's all exciting, though, isn't it? It is exciting. Um, look, it's tremendous. It's made, uh, it's made a tremendous difference uh, for, for our business. Um, it's brought uh, job security to a, a lot of people. Um, we've probably got something in the vicinity of um, 300 people working for us throughout Tasmania and Victoria at the moment, and um, and uh, with the uh, the growth we're projecting, um, those numbers will only increase. And uh, you know, it's pretty expensive to grow hops, so there's a lot of flow on into local community services uh, resources that we need. So um, yeah, we're sort of we're, we're pretty happy with where it's at, and it's it's really really nice to be part of an industry that's generally doing doing well. Do you of, get a lot of so, oh, sorry, sorry, Prof? You go. Just yeah, just on that. Speaking of uh, of job security, how's the, uh, the that new bloke working out? Bloke who used to brew a bit of beer down Tasmania Way from Uberoo. OJ. Yeah. He's doing great. <laughs> <laughs> He's looking a little frazzled at the moment. He's full time tour guide. We've had a lot of visitors in uh, already this week. Um, Brewers, uh, both uh, from uh, domestic brewers uh, from here in Australia, and uh, also some visitors from overseas already. So, um, yeah, he spent a lot. Of time in all seriousness, it, it, it must be great to have somebody with his um, his brewing nous uh, being able to sort of have a foot in either camp, and I guess being able to you know speak fluent Bruinese as well as um, I guess you know learning the uh, the the technical hop, you know, or the agricultural hop side of things for you. Oh no doubt, no doubt. I mean, I I had a you know I had a background in commercial brewing with the with the Cascade Brewery. I spent five years in the brew house there, and I was also running a six head craft brewery at the same time. Um, but that's a long time ago now. You know, a lot of stuff's changed, and um, hmm. o, OJ brings current working knowledge in the craft brewing industry uh, to our business, and um, so. 
in combination with uh, you know the work that he's doing with us, he also offers uh, technical support. He spends a lot of time on the phone to different brewers that have got questions on hop application, and well, to be honest, it actually spans out across uh, all you know the full the full scope of brewery operation. You know, he's uh, he's as often talking about. Um, you know, cooling systems and um, various other bits of uh, support equipment around the brewery as he's about hop application. So, yeah, I'm, I'm you know, and I think uh, he's got a pretty good working experience having uh, built two breweries and operating them. And, um, yeah, we'd like to think that um, it just offers the brewers a little bit extra in terms of, you know, being able to have a chat to him and um, benefit from his experience. How much uh, how much support do you get from the state government down there? Because it sounds like between the uh, just the, the the hop selling and the development in the local economy, you you, you bring a lot of people in uh, at this time of year, you know, visiting, and it must be a big part of uh, the, the the Tasmanian local economy. Um, yeah, I mean they're aware of what we're doing, um, but um, I, I mean. What is, what, I'm not quite sure what your question is. What are they? Are well, they... I, I guess how supportive are they? You know, you, you, you see, uh, you know, do, do they, you know, uh, provide assistance and incentives to you to, to, to keep growing? Is, is is the hop production seen as being a big part of the local, uh, you know, uh, the, the domestic economy down there? Um, well, I don't know. It's seen as a big part. I mean, we we are growing and um, we are expanding, and um, but we're not really. Uh, you know, we've sort of had some discussions with government, both in Tasmania and Victoria, around what we're doing and what we're planning on doing. And um, there have been, and there are still some, you know, various uh, sort of funding opportunities out there. But uh, to date, um, we haven't uh, we haven't really um, picked anything up. That, that surprises me a little bit when you look at uh, how much you know, newsprint is given towards uh, governments that are trying to attract business there. That I, I would have thought that when when they see something that is getting a lot of uh, attention around the world, they might be a little bit more supportive. But uh, that, maybe that's just me. Yeah, well, you know, these these sort of funding programs sort of come and go at different points in time. I mean, with the change of government in Victoria, there was a bit of a freeze on things there, sort of right at the time when we're announcing things and. Uh, it does come down to a little bit of chicken and egg and, um, you know, the governments want their, you know, they, they don't necessarily want us to announce things until they can formalise things. But, you know, on the other hand, we need to, you know, for example, it takes nearly uh, nearly 12 months to get a new hop picking machine built. So we put that order in a long time ago. Um, so then the government comes along and says, well, hang on a second, if you've already ordered it, you know, maybe we don't want to be part of it. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, there's been a there's been a bit of toing and froing, and it's just uh, been a little bit hard to uh, sort of marry up with uh, some of the government's expectations uh, or state government expectations in terms of um, how that might uh, might come about. But it's not over yet, and we'll see how we'll see how it goes. Terrific. Well, Tim Lord, thank you very much for joining us on Radio Brews News today. And uh, mate, we'd better let you go put your uh, gum boots on and get out in those hop fields <laughs> and do some picking. Yeah, no, great to talk to you guys. Appreciate your time. Thanks again, Tim. Right, bye for now. Thanks, mate. Yeah, that was good. Yeah, yeah. Oh, there's, a, there's a couple of bits. I mean, when you, I guess, just in talking about, um, you know, the value of, uh, you know, revenue from a from a from a crop. Um, I guess we sort of dodged around that one. I'm not quite sure whether you're going to sort of leave that in or cut it out. But um, I mean, if you wanted me to sort of put some values around that, I'd probably need to uh, have a bit more of a think about it. Yeah, no, no, no. It was just, it was just uh, yeah, hearing. Uh, I think you said a hundred ton or a thousand, thousand tons. tons. 
thousand tons of uh, hops. I was just trying to do the mental calculations in my head, thinking, uh, you know, uh, what the value of that is. But uh, yeah, we'll see. Uh, values, values, one of those. I don't know. I'm probably um, probably being a little bit pedantic, but I mean, value, you know, value to us, you know, we we wholesale a lot of stuff, so. Um, you know, value to us is one thing, value to the economy is something else. Um, you know, something that's relevant for brewers, I guess, is something else. Um, mm. um, but um, yeah, it's um, I guess one of the one of the one of the uh, obvious things there is that you know we were growing commodity hops and selling them internationally and basically losing money. Um, mm. And depending where the dollar was at, you know, those losses actually over recent years became unsustainable. So, in the absence of going into this, uh, you know, more so down this um, craft supply um, channel, um, we'd be history. We'd be gone. We would... well, actually, that would have been an interesting thing to have uh, chatted about. But um, yeah, I mean, uh, could... save something for next time. Yeah. So for next time, yeah. Well, there's a fair bit going on. I mean, we've just, uh, you know, we're only just getting started here with uh, with this upgrade, and um, we're looking at acquiring more land. We've leased some more properties, and there's going to be a few more announcements coming out. Um, you know, we we've just leased a property up in the Doan Valley that uh, is owned by the Shoebridge family, which are descendants of the original William Shoebridge who established top growing in Tasmania, and they're very excited. You know, we're looking to get a crop in on there and harvest it next year, which will be 30 years since uh, hops were grown on that property. And, wow. Uh, yeah, there's a bit of stuff going on around there, which is, um, I don't know. I mean, it's interesting for us. I mean, I, I assume there'll be some interest to a broader audience. Um, yeah, look, absolutely there will be. Yeah, um, and up so, in Victoria, we've just purchased a, a swathe of land out on the uh, Buffalo River on some of the old, hop, uh, the old tobacco growing areas up there. Um, and you know the people in the local community are just so excited. It's 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 really quite fabulous to to go and visit and uh, and see that level of interest that is existing up there and the level of enthusiasm that we're seeing from local suppliers and providers and um, you know people looking at employment opportunities and people just looking at the the vista in the valley and saying this is the, you know they're looking forward to the view changing. And stuff like I, that. So. I guess that's where I was going uh, with, with the question about the state government because you, you hear all of this stuff and it, it's, it's got to be a, a major impact when every other regional and rural community is complaining about you know being decimated um, to see stuff actually going yeah, in. Yeah, it's a little bit of a difficult question to answer. I mean, down here in Tassie, even though we're a Tassie-based business, um, you know, we are looking at expansion in Tasmania, but the bulk of that money that we've referenced in that media release is going into Victoria. Right. Um, you know, if we're looking, you know, just very, very roughly, we're looking at investing about 15 million. Well, probably seven or eight of that's going to go in equipment and sheds and infrastructure to upgrade the Ross Trevor picking facility. Have you been there? Do you know what I'm talking about there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, 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 sorry, no, I haven't been to Ross Trevor. I've been right. uh, past been Ross Trevor. Right. And, uh, you know, the rest of that money is going to go into acquisition of new land and, um, you know, building a hop trellis and getting all the irrigation set up and that sort of thing. So, this is an exciting mm. time for us, and we need to give our customers assurance that we are investing money in our business to expand. I get asked all the time, are you expanding, are you expanding, are you expanding? And the answer's got to be yes. Otherwise, brewers are going to go, well, maybe we can't get the hops that have been integral to our brand. Um, we're going to have to start looking elsewhere, and we don't want that to happen. So, wow. Because so. I remember last time we spoke to you, Tim, I think 100 a Ton was the was the galaxy number that you were aiming for for that for like for the the season after we spoke to you. 
Yep. So that's quite, that's quadrupled now in the two years since then. Yeah. Well, yeah we, um, I grew six tonnes in 2009 and wondered if I'd be able to sell it. And <laughs> even as recently as 2012, um, at the time of harvest, we were looking at, yeah, those were sort of numbers, Peter, that we're talking about. We were looking at um, growing 100 tonnes or 150 tonnes, and I think at the time of harvest, half of that hadn't even been contracted. And at that point, I thought, shit, we've already, you know, um, we're already growing more than the world wants. Um, yeah. Since then, the demand has just um, exploded. And... Um, so now if you look at some of those more popular varieties and Galaxy is being spoken about in sort of brewing circles, you know, alongside the likes of Amarillo and Simcoe and Centennial and yeah. some of the better known um, American varieties. And if you look at the tonnages of some of these varieties, some of them are up in the thousands of tonnes. So, you know, if Galaxy is going to have a place on the international stage, we know it's not going to hold its position if we're only going to grow 100 tonnes of it. Yeah. Yeah. So we've got to be able to, uh, you know, grow enough to, you know, make it available to those people who who want to use it as, you know, part of their, you know, part of their portfolio. So, um, you know, basically what we're looking at doing is putting another 50 years of life into the hop industry in Victoria. We're looking at next year we're going to harvest more hops in Victoria than have ever been grown in Victoria in total. So, you know, it's, there's some pretty good things going on. Um, it's where we're at and. Um, it's yeah, it is an exciting time, and um, you know, for the for the for the owners of this business to support a business that, and I don't like referencing it, but we were we were you know this business nearly folded a decade ago. It really was not looking in a very good shape at all. You know, when I started, um, Bushy Park was growing about 90 hectares of hops, and most of those we couldn't sell. And Ross Trevor was growing about 80 hectares of hops, and most of those we couldn't sell. And things were looking pretty uh, pretty ordinary. Um, Ross Trevor's now bigger than it's ever been. Um, it's approaching 200 hectares. Bushy Park is now back to full capacity at around 225 hectares, and we've just signed uh, we've just signed up to purchase um, more land in Victoria. Like I said, old tobacco growing land, which is beautiful, beautiful. Some of the best, most potentially productive land in Australia. Beautiful, deep um, alluvial river flats with a, with a fine supply of water. And uh, here in Tasmania, leasing some properties, old hop-growing properties, and bringing them back into production after you know sitting idle for three decades. I mean, well, sitting idle, they've been grazing cows and sheep and stuff like that, but bringing them back into hop production. And there's a you know there's a lot of good feeling around that. So, and it's and it's only happening because the brewers of the world are are, are buying these varieties and expressing interest, and the consumers are out there enjoying the beer that's made with them and um, so yeah we're going for it and um, and further to that we've got a whole bunch of new varieties that are sitting in the wings waiting to find some space in our gardens but uh, you know that's one of the other challenges we've got everyone wants you know what's your new variety but it's a, it's a tough call for us at the moment to for example um, stop expanding galaxy production to put a new variety in when there's such a huge demand for it um, so you know, there's a bit of a there's a bit of a playoff there too. So we we are still bringing some new varieties through, but um, you know, we we don't want to jump into expanding some new varieties ahead of you know um, increasing our production of some of our some of the favourites we've got out there already. So. Well, I think it's definitely my question uh, asking uh, technique then, because that's exactly what I was uh, alluding to when I asked whether you know you had sleepless nights trying to forecast what people wanted. Um, but uh, you know, it, it, it's fascinating to hear just how complicated and exciting it is at the moment. 
Yeah, but I think you got the drift of what I was saying in terms of it getting... To start with, it just I did lay awake at night just wondering how the hell this was going to work and trying to forecast, like I said, um, to Pete's question, you know, he remembers clearly us saying, me saying, oh, yeah, I think we're going to grow 100 tonnes of galaxy. And I was having sleepless nights then because we were putting it out there and I didn't know if we were going to be able to sell it. I really didn't. And like I said, at the time of harvest a couple of years ago, you know, half of what we were growing wasn't even contracted, and I thought I'd really cocked it up. Um, now, um, we've got distributors in uh, Brazil, uh, Canada, um, North America, the UK, China, um, uh, and uh, Spain, um, yeah, all these countries, and that just means our hops are getting out to so many more people that we're getting... <laughs> more robust information coming back and, and able to get probably more, you know, better projections about what people are wanting. And um, and uh, so that gives us a lot more confidence to feed that into our systems and say, hey, um, if we don't get planning now, um, there's absolutely no way we can supply these volumes. But um, it all comes at a cost and that's what we've spoken about. Excellent. Mate, we'd better leave it there just yeah. to uh, prof me to, to get moving and uh, no doubt you've got stuff yeah, to do. So no, Sorry thank you very that. much for your time. Yeah, as you know, I can bloody prattle on about this forever because it's 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 what I live, eat and breathe. And, and this is the sort of stuff that, that we love to do. It, it's just This is the sort of conversation that's best had at a bar with a beer in hand. Mm, mm. No doubt about it. But uh, no, we, uh, we, uh, we enjoy it and... Um, Everyone's working really, really hard at the moment, and um, yeah, we're we're hopeful we can get all these investment plans uh, in place and uh, get these new facilities built and get on with growing more hops. And uh, yeah, we're pretty excited about that. Good one, Tim. Thanks, Thanks guys. Thanks, Tim. Thanks, man. Every time they hear that oopapa, everybody feels so tralala. They want to throw their cares away. They all go. There you go, mate. Look, I love talking to, you know, maybe when people listen to or read the stuff that we write when we're fired up about various things, they might doubt our love of craft beer. But, you know, just love talking to people like Tim Lord, who has been around in the industry. He's been a brewer. He's been, you know, with hops. Um, as everyone heard, you know, he didn't think there was much life left in the Australian hop industry. Um, and he, as he is willing to admit himself, can talk about hops uh, and talk about the beer industry all day. And, uh, you know, th- those conversations I find is just fascinating and one of the reasons why I love doing Radio Brews News. Yeah, uh, exactly. Yeah, um, and getting to hear, uh, I guess, their, their passion comes through in the spoken word much more than it does in the written word. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, and, and beer is a conversation, as we say, ad nauseum. Now, ne- ne- next interview that we've got, um, we're speaking to Richard Adamson, who's uh, the, you know, I guess, the public face of Young Henry's Brewery, uh, formerly of Sydney, or you know, still currently of Sydney, but you know, with plans of global domination. Um, it was interesting to chat. We, we normally don't just speak to brewers when they've got a new brewery out, um, or you know, they've got a new beer out because... Yeah, that, that's a little bit commonplace. But when you see a brewery like this, it has uh, really created a brand in uh, in its hometown and has a very clear brand presence um, spreading. Um, it, it, to me, it brought in a whole lot of uh, you know other ele- elements that we can talk about about the industry. You know, how are they doing it, keeping their price down and expanding their their costs? And you know, listeners, you'll, you'll hear a lot about that um, as we talk to Richard Adamson.
And now we're joined by Richard Adamson, who is, for want of a better title, the titular head at Sydney's Young Henry Brewing Company, but taking over the rest of Australia. Richard, thanks for joining Radio Brews News. Thanks for having me. Mate, you're in Perth at the moment, or WA, um, yeah. down Frio Way? Down at our, our um, Metro Cup Brewery at the moment, so um, just yeah, overseeing some more cans coming out and um, checking out the new tasting bar, which is finally finished in terms of uh, building, and we're just waiting to get the licence through and throw the doors open to the public. Well, that's one of the things that we uh, wanted to talk to you about, so it's fortuitous that you're over uh, there, because a media release came out a couple of weeks ago saying that you were or you were expanded into WA. That's been on the cards for a while. You've uh, just announced plans to head down into South Australia. Um, and it's one of those things that rather than just put out a media release, we wanted to uh, have a bit of a chat and find out you know, about young Henry's taking over the world um, or the, the Australian beer world. Um, I, we spoke to you last, uh, probably August, September last year, I think, and you were just ordered your first distillery. Yes. That's now gone in. Uh, young Henry seems to be everywhere at the moment. Do you want to tell us a little bit about what's going on? Well, really, it's good standard of um, philosophy that we think, um, you know, beer, particularly on draft, is, is best, um, best fresh. And, you know, you, you want to have... Uh, a local community around your, your brewery. Uh, a couple of like one of my business partners, Ian, lives over here in, in Metro Cup, and he was um, he was missing out on all the good beer, so he kind of demanded that we had a brewery in, in West Australia. Um, so that's well, that's how this one came about. And uh, South Australia, we're just waiting on uh, the final DA to go through. But one of our brewers, Owen, uh, was originally from Adelaide and really wanted to get his his teeth into running his own place. I've got family down there and we, we saw where the market was and thought it was uh, about time that South Australia sort of started to get a expansion into craft beer and I think it's a really exciting time for um, Adelaide and, and South Australian microbrewing. But I've also, I'm Brisbane based as you know, and I've also been hearing rumours that there have been uh, real estate agents scurrying around looking for a possible Brisbane venue as well. Any truth to that rumour? Look, we're, we're, we're certainly exploring it. Um, I think it'll be some time before we, we get there, uh, just because we need to you know, really work on what we've got at the moment. And uh, we've, we've got enough on our plate of it right now, but uh, hopefully, hopefully sometime soon. Young Henry's is a, you know, I guess take a step back. Craft beer is, you know, sort of really taken off. We, uh, there's been much discussion about what craft beer is, um, but as as the market broadens, we're really starting to see uh, uh, breweries focus very much on their brand and target segments within a wider um, craft demo demographic. Um, I, Young Henry's has always seemed to be to represent that new town Sydney uh, street culture. Um, some people might sneeringly deride it as the uh, the hipster uh, movement, um, but you, you, you've got a very specific brand um, that works very well in. Uh, Newtown, do you see that as being able to transport across to somewhere like Fremantle and somewhere like Adelaide? Do they have that street culture that people can uh, plug into? Look, it's, uh, what we, what, I think we've got a, a, a core essence of what we believe the brand is about, which is, um, which is music, art and culture, but it's really a, a expression or representation of the community around the brewery. So taking that... that um, that core values, I think each brewery could probably express a different personality in, in some ways. And um, I think Newtown expresses what Newtown's about. And um, what we have here in, in Metro Cup is, um, it, you know, the brewery's built on a, an old dairy. So um, 
the actual brewery equipment in a in the round where the the cows were coming in to um to wait to be milked, and um, there's a massive hay shed which is the tasting bar, uh, which is really stripped back. Um, so it it does look a lot a lot different to a lot of the, the sort of um, breweries around uh, Margaret River, I think, um, in that it it doesn't feel like a winery. It, it's it's really really raw. Uh, so I, yeah, I think I think we can get um, we can you know once people start understanding what Young Henry's about, I think it's it, it will have traction across um, different markets. If, if somebody you know, from Sydney travels across to uh, uh, Frio um, or Margaret River, um, are we are they going to immediately feel the the, the same um, presence that they felt in Sydney, or are you really tailoring it towards each uh, local area? Look, I think I think there'll be things that will be instantly recognisable and, and familiar um, in, in terms of. Um, the atmosphere and the vibe, but then you've, you've got a very different landscape to to um, experience it in. So, where you know, I'm sitting here in the tasting bar now, looking over, you know, the um, the dam and trees and a you know a really nice picturesque farm, um, which um, you, you think may be jarring, but it, it feels very comfortable. It's hardly a new town. Um, <laughs> That's right. the, 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 the very bucolic setting that you're describing. Yeah, but uh, the music's the same though. So. <laughs> It is okay. You'll still hear rock and roll pumping up from from the from the toasting bar. So um, yeah, that that at least that will be we will be the same. And Richard, you're referring to it as as the beer farm. Is that the working title, or is that uh, I guess designed to get people, I guess, a bit of a feel for what they might be stepping into? Uh, yeah, that was that was young Benny Joseph, who um, was one of our original brewers in in Newtown, has, has moved over here. Um, to uh, set up and work here, it was that was his name for it, and it definitely feels like a beer farm. Uh, and uh, yeah, I think that's 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 a, that's a good title for what you're getting. I can see a young local artist getting involved with some, you know, perhaps some damaged or empty, you know, uh, ex, you know, out of use kegs, um, and have a little flock of, of keg sheep out, uh, out on the decking or something, <laughs> you know, out in the out in the paddock. Well, the great thing about having so much space around is you can you can kind of do those more um, larger scale works. I think in terms of sculpture, and that's um, that's something we're looking forward to doing in the, in the near future. Now, you you, you raised uh, that draft beer is best uh, local or fresh. Yeah. Um, but one of the things that people really look forward to uh, or, or look for in, in beer is consistency. Um, how are you going to manage that? You, you've got a great brewer over in uh, Margaret River with Chloe Lovett, formerly of Matilda Bay, um, but you've also got uh, you know a, a really good team in Sydney. Are, are people going to see different expressions of the same beers or are you going to brew different beers? Um, how are you handling the, the, the actual liquid that you're producing? So the core, the core beers will be the same. Um, so the natural lager, real ale, hop ale. We're working really, really hard to um, to narrow the gaps that we've um, seen um, pop up when we've um, brewed the two different sites. There has been slight variations, but that's um, that's a bit of fine tuning that we're doing. And we've invested um, pretty heavily in getting um, our uh, lab up to scratch and getting our capability there, so we can do our own internal testing. And that's starting to pay dividends now. In terms of actually seeing the results and helping us guide guide our way through it, the cider we're doing is is going to be is going to be slightly different because we're using local um, apples, so there will be an expectation that is that's a it is a you know it's our same cloudy cider but it's different fruit so it's going to be a different expression of that. 
Uh, and then the limited release beers, there's, there's going to be no coordination across sites in terms of that. That's really where we can get an expression of what the brewers want to do here and, and you know, work with uh, local people, collaborate with chefs, artists, musicians like we, we do in Newtown. Okay. Now, watching, standing back and watching the way that the um, small brewing industry has evolved over the last two or three years, we've seen, you know, some of the, and I hesitate to use the word bigger because it's a highly relative thing, but some of the bigger of the small breweries, um, you know, the, the regional breweries really rapidly work to um, expand their production. Um, because a big part of beer is unit cost and getting the unit costs down. Um, Stone and wood uh, have been you know, ever expanding. Other brewers have gone to a um, contract brewing mold uh, uh, role to try and get the unit cost of their um, bottled and uh, draft beer down. Um, I'd imagine that starting up a series of new breweries um, with the attendant costs of brewers, um, you know, equipment, um, you know, all of the things involved in that, um, would be making it very hard for you guys to get your uh, unit costs down um, and be a, a real cash demand. Have you had a rich uncle die and uh, sort of leave you know, very fondly leave you in, in, look after you in his will? <laughs> if only. Um, <laughs> no, look, it's, um, it, it's, it, it is a, a, a more difficult way of going about it. I, I would agree with that, but um, it. It's really we, we believe that having that having that local presence, having that touchstone for people to experience the brand number one, and for us to to respond to what's around us and um, and create the beers and and the events that we want to want to do in, in each location to have like a, a true local brewery, I think is probably more important to us. But at the same, so you've got a local brewery, and you've also had a. Um, uh, my understanding is that you the 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 draft beer that you supply to places like um, Brisbane is fairly well priced. It's you know you, you guys aren't uh, you know sort of pitching it as a, uh, um, a a product that people need to pay more for, um, and consequently you've, we, we've seen it get into a lot of bars. Um, but it just as, as a business model, you seem to be having you know increasing your costs nationally. But also, you know, keeping your unit price down, you know, fairly competitively um, in, in all of the markets you're in, that must be a fairly difficult tightrope to be walking uh, from a business point of view. Look, in, in terms of like we're, we're, in terms of our margins, we I think if, if you're saying that we're reasonably priced, and I'd agree that we're we're not you know we're not selling on the most expensive in the market, but then we we're very honest and say that that's the price. We don't we don't deal back. Whereas I think a lot of our, um, Competition will say, you know, our our unit price is X. However, if you, you know, if we do a deal, then it it, it generally comes down to somewhere where we are or below it. Um, so it's just a again, I think it's just a philosophical um, point of view in terms of our pricing. We'd rather go out in the marketplace and say this is our price. No, we don't do deals. I, I guess the, the the point of that was more, um, you know. Uh, your production costs um, are, are fairly significant with all of the new uh, facilities that you've um, created. Um, so you don't seem to be able to even get the benefit of uh, scale from the, the breweries that you have got because you're then going and uh, you know, putting in a new facility with brewers and all of the costs, you know, rather than squeezing more out of one or two brewers, you've got brewing teams around the country. Um, is, is retail that lucrative that you're able to 
um, cover those costs, um, whereas other brewers such as uh, Mountain Goat, for example, rather than put in a new brewery um, or an even bigger brewery, have uh, sort of outsourced some of their, their, their production. You guys seem to be going both ways, increasing your costs, but also keeping your um, pricing quite low. So I, I guess it's it is too too far. So that's a yeah. I, I definitely the retail is it. You know, if you do that right, you can get into a position where you you know you can you're paying wages and, and covering rent um, for sure. And then then whatever you sell outside of um, that particular venue is you know is your cream. Um, you know, we 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 we've certainly seen that across a couple of sites. Uh, but also, like you know, we've we have increased our capacity in Newtown you know, four times or double that capacity four times there. So there's still an ongoing, um, you know, build-up of, of the site there, and I assume it will be across the other sites as well as the, as the capacity grows. Um, so we really haven't, you know, we've only just taken on four more 80 hectares tanks in Newtown. We haven't really hit um, our strengths completely here in Western Australia in terms of what we can produce. So there's still a lot of upside in terms of, um, both sites in terms of increasing capacity. Is this the sort of expansion that is really only possible in such an expanding, buoyant market? You know, uh, you, you you couldn't. It would be much harder to to uh, have a strategy like this um, without massive uh, you know funding um, in a uh, in in a more mature market. Is that is that a fair comment? I, I yeah I, I think you're right actually. I think that's probably why you're seeing a lot of expansion going on at the moment is that you know this this growth period of coming from what three percent to hopefully what will become eight percent is only going to happen you know it's only going to happen once so um it, it is a case of taking advantage of of the growth now um but let's hope it continues like we, we we're seeing in america do you think the australian market is a, a, a good parallel to the american market i tend to think that um we follow them to some extent, but because we follow after them, some of our um, cycles are much shorter. Um, you know, the, the, the growth is quicker, but then also the, uh, the decline will, uh, well, if there is a decline, will come uh, just as quickly as the, the US as well. Is that a, something that you see, or we've got lots of uh, uh, growth to come? I think we've sort of a lot of growth to come. Um, I, I think you're right, though. There's a a couple of things around that, and that would be obviously um, population and um, just geography. That you're in a, you know, it's it's pretty spread out here in Australia. It's not it's not um, not as tightly as densely populated as it is in in the states. So um, I think it probably will slow down um, at a quicker point than it has in the states. But really, it's a, I think the, it is about being at the local brewer. That's the that's the key, uh, rather than Having a you know a, a, a national behemoth, I don't I don't think that works. Although I guess that's the the way a lot of the national behemoths start out. They start out with their regional breweries, and uh, I guess it depends on the business philosophy behind it. You know, when you've got shareholders to to answer to. Um, you know, it, it's we've recently seen uh, White Rabbit close down and move to Geelong rather than maintain a, a second facility. Um, is this completely funded by? Is this expansion funded by the the original partners in the business? Um, and so you've got complete control over the future, or you know, have you had to take on partners um, to to fund the growth that may 
you know, see some tensions later on to ensure the, uh, you know, the, the profit, profitability stays? Look, we've, we've, we have taken on um, third-party investors, but they've, they've, the reason they've invested is they've, you know, they've bought into the philosophy of the, of the company. So, yeah, absolutely, I agree. That's, and that's what you've seen, I think, with a lot of, a lot of breweries in terms of that um, amalgamation and, and tightening up of where the, the, the beer is produced from a pure dollars and cents perspective. It's very easy to, to say, well, this, you know, this kind of thing is going to, um, it's going to save, save money. Um, I guess the difference is that, um, you know, is, is, is the tasting bar and the, and the, the retail presence. Because if you can if you can do that, then it, it makes sense from a dollar and a cents perspective as well. Is there a lot of uh, you know? Is there a lot of venture uh, capital starting to to come into the craft beer world? We're seeing a lot of corporate takeovers in the states, and we're also seeing a lot of venture um, capital groups uh, sounding out um, some of the more successful breweries. Is that something that uh, you're finding in Australia? Uh... Not, I, I, not really. It's 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 an interesting thing when you, you know, if you look at what the Yeasty Boys managed to achieve um, fairly recently in terms of a, a crowdfunding. Um, if you look at the numbers there, it, it, it didn't make a whole lot of sense. Um, but you know, obviously people weren't buying into the the the, the money making exercise. It was, and they they were very open about it and called it love money. Um, mm. If you if you're looking at it from a pure Pure investment perspective, I think that's it, it's fairly still fairly risky. You know, it's a it's a hard game. And that, I guess that's uh, where this uh, conversation has ended up going. Because yeah, I um, had been looking at the, the expansion that you've got um, and seeing that you know, whereas a lot of the, the breweries are trying to squeeze as much out of one facility. Um, you guys are, are, are expanding your footprint um, right across the country, um, and any partners you take on, you'd hope would uh, be sharing that philosophy that you you guys launched with. Absolutely, and that's you know, we're, we're, we've been very upfront about why we've why we've gone down this path and why we believe it's the right way to go. And look at in the end of the day, we're you know all marketing sort of stuff aside, it's down to the product in the glass, and um, we think this is the best way to achieve. You know, the best beer in the glass for for each individual market is by to have have the brewery local. Now, Richard, I've, I've got the hard question for you, so I want to you know <laughs> think about this and have a good, honest answer. Is is the true um, uh, reason behind this so that you can enter multiple beers at Gabs? <laughs> no, no the, the, the real reason is that when I get to travel around the country, I can turn up to my own place and have a beer each time. That's that's the real reason for it. And for us to do as many limited release beers as possible. Well, that's a good enough reason too, I suppose. <laughs> Emma, you, you, you've done a good job of rating uh, the uh, brewing teams of some other uh, brewers. You've got Sam Fuss in Sydney, uh, Chloe Lovett, as, as, as we've said. Have you... Um, uh, got your eyes on any other brewers? Should should everyone else be worried? Well, we've got a, actually got Charlotte Excellent Creatures here helping us in um, in West Australia at the moment too, who will be heading down to South Australia once we're up and running. So I've I've got a bit of a um, female mafia happening at the moment. Um, so I think the boys better look out. Yeah, are you doing anything specially for Pink Boots? I've seen that with Pink Boots uh, Day or. Um, 
the, the Pink Boots Society has have their day on International Women's Day. Um, are you doing anything specially for that? Absolutely. So um, Sam and Aggie will be um, doing a brew on, on the day, on the Sunday. Um, I think it's a red ale is the theme, so they'll be doing something with some pepperberries, I believe, and some rye. Uh, and they'll be setting up a like a mini brewery, like a home brew set up, uh, the brewmaster, so people can get their hands dirty as well. Any, any Anyone is welcome to come and check it out. And I believe Chloe and Charlotte are getting some um, wine or some, some juice from the um, local winery and doing a kind of um, red barrel-aged sort of blend as well. So, um, again, anyone's welcome to come down on the day and check it out. Sounds good. No, actually, one last question. I did raise the distillery. How's that going? I haven't seen too uh, much. Uh... Yeah, so, so advice for any budding distillers, it, it's much harder to get a distillery up and running than it is a brewery. The, um, the, the hoops you've got to jump through are, are much harder in terms of safety and all that. do have a, a, a plan to launch very soon, though, so um, we're inching closer. Any tips about what the first um, products are going to be? So it will be it will be the Noble Cut Gin that we've been working on for about a year now. So um, we're we've finalised the recipe. We're we're really happy with it. Um, that's 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 what one I talked to you about last time using Enigma hops and some uh, native ingredients as well. Wonderful. Well, Richard, thank you very much for for joining us uh, on Radio Brews News. All the best with uh, everything down the Margaret River, and uh, we look forward to hopefully having a beer in one of your brew bars very, very soon. Thanks, Richard. Thanks, guys. Cheers. Then they hear a rumble on the floor. It's a big surprise they're waiting for. There you go, Prof. Richard Adamson. Uh, anything else you want to add to that? No, uh, no, because you told me early on when you said we've got two interviews, I thought we only had one. I'd forgotten that we'd spoken to Richard. So, uh, no, I, uh, I think it was all pretty self-explanatory. And good luck to him. I think uh, it's great that he's really, I guess, selling that or, or you know, um, walking the walk that he talks in terms of, you know, drink fresh, drink local. Yeah, and, and look, a lot of my questions these days or a lot of my perspective on the industry um, is, is probably flavoured by stuff that happened, you know, in, in, I, I was, I'm old enough, you know, you and I are probably older than an, a lot of the people that are listening to this uh, program, Prof, and, uh, you know, I, I remember when it wasn't called craft beer, but it was, you know, micro beer or just, you know, beer Boutique in the beer, late 80s. Yeah, or just beer. Boutique beer, um, and, you know, the, probably the most out there beer in those days was the the old chili beer that turned up. You know, everyone was you know brewing a chili beer, and um, you saw all these breweries. There was all of this excitement, and then it it went away very very quickly. Um, and you know, and actually before it went away, you know, you saw some people making beer, a lot of excitement, people saying, "Hey, there's money. You know, there's gold in them uh, hills." Um, you have a bit of a gold rush, and then it disappears very very quickly and uh you know i, I i'm so I, I spend a lot of time thinking about you know is that going to happen um now we're seeing a lot of expansion we're seeing a lot of uh people come to market we're seeing a lot of innovation um and, and i look at the, the business fundamentals because you know um just because everyone loves craft beer now will they in five years time um just because people are building breweries are they all going to, and people are buying beer 
uh, are they viable at, at the unit cost that they can do? And uh, yeah, so look, th those conversations are always fascinating for, for me to hear how different people um, uh, approach it. And every brewer has a different, you know, answer to, to the same question. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it sort of speaks to our point that we make, um, I can't remember if we made it in, uh, in this particular podcast, but about, you know, when you, when you, the beer that you choose to drink, um, it says something about the, the hopes and the, the dreams that you have for the future of, of what we call craft beer in, in this country. Every time you buy it, you, you pay your money for a beer, you're casting a, a vote for how you see the future of yeah, exactly. So, oh mate, what, what a nice sentiment chat. to finish um, on. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> oh, no, very, very uplifting. Now we do have some big names uh, coming up uh, on podcasts in the next couple of do weeks. We if ever. Things going to plan. Um, Stephen Beaumont, who's a Canadian beer writer, you know, again another um, old stager in the world of craft beer. He's probably, in fact, he's probably been uh, writing about beer since you know we were in uh, we, we were drinking VB. Yeah. Um, prof, and uh, I've got a lovely photo of you with a mullet drinking VB. Um, so Stephen's going to be joining us to talk about, you know, Stephen's a great guy. He's a little bit out, even though he's a North American, he's outside of that US bubble and uh, you know, always has some interesting things to say uh, about the industry up, up there. So we're having a chat to him. And then uh, we uh, don't think that we can even announce the guest yet um, who we're going to be speaking to, but it's a, a North American craft brewer who may or may not be coming to uh, Australia for something in some future time. Um, and we're going to get the chance to, to speak to him. Be, yeah. um, I, I think in the I, I think in the industry, Prof, that's called a teaser. I think so. Consider yourself teased. Um, well, yes, and, and I nearly let out who it was because I forgot that we're not meant to be announcing who it was. Yeah. So <laughs> such is the professionalism. But Prof, always great to chat with you. Looking forward to having a beer with you very, very soon. Um, and yeah, catching up with you for another chat but listeners thank you very much for joining us you can find us australian brew or brewsnews.com.au uh, you can find follow us on twitter ozbrewsnews uh, and i'm good beer matt prof your uh, prof pilsner on twitter uh beer blokes beer blokes sorry mate this is so good yeah, and pete mitchum on facebook and pete mitchum on facebook but listeners thank you very much for joining us uh, for this thing that we call radio brews news always good to uh have you as part of the conversation don't forget that you can uh, send us your thoughts and emails give us an uppercut or you know tell us to stop waffling um but whatever you do join the conversation let's strike out the band there's a garden what a garden only happy faces bloom there and there's never All good. Done. And we're out.
There you go, mate. Look, I, I love talking to, you know, may, maybe when people listen to or read the stuff that we write when we're fired up about various things, they might doubt our love of craft beer, but, you know, just love talking to people like Tim Lord, who has been around in the industry. You know, he's not some Johnny-come-lately. He's been a brewer. He's been, you know, with hops, um, as, as everyone heard, yep. you know. He, he didn't think there was much life left in the uh, Australian hop industry. Um, and he, as he is willing to admit himself, can talk about hops uh, and talk about the beer industry all day. And, uh, you know, th those conversations I find is just fascinating and one of the reasons why I love doing Radio Brews News. Yeah, uh, exactly. Yeah, um, and getting to hear, uh, I guess, their, their passion comes through in the spoken word much more than it does in the written word. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, and, and beer is a conversation, as we say, ad nauseum. That's it. Now, ne ne next interview that we've got, um, we're speaking to Richard Adamson, who's uh, the, you know, I guess, the public face of Young Henry's Brewery, uh, formerly of Sydney or you know, still currently of Sydney, but you know, with plans of global domination. Um, it was interesting to chat. We, we normally don't just speak to brewers when they've got a new brewery out um, or you know, they've got a new beer out because... Yeah, that, that's a little bit commonplace. But when you see a brewery like this, it has uh, really created a brand in uh, in its hometown and as a very clear brand presence um, spreading. Um, it, it to me, it brought in a whole lot of uh, you know other ele elements that we can talk about about the industry. You know, how are they doing it, keeping their price down and expanding their their costs? And you know, listeners, you'll, you'll hear a lot about that um, as we talk to Richard Adamson. There you go, Prof. Richard Adamson. Uh, anything else you want to add to that? No, uh, no, because you thrown me early on when you said we've got two interviews. And I thought we only had one. I'd forgotten that we'd spoken to Richard. So, uh, no, I, uh, I think it was all pretty self-explanatory. And good luck to him. I think uh, it's great that he's really, I guess, selling that or, or you know, um, walking the walk that he talks in terms of, you know, drink fresh, drink local. Yeah, and, and look, a lot of my questions these days or a lot of my perspective on the industry um, is, is probably flavoured by stuff that happened, you know, in, in, I, I was, I'm old enough, you know, you and I are probably older than an, a lot of the people that are listening to this uh, program, Prof, and, uh, you know, I, I remember when it wasn't called craft beer, but it was, you know, micro beer or just, you know, beer in boutique the late beer. 80s, yeah, or just beer. boutique beer, um, and, you know, the, probably the most out there beer in those days was the the old chili beer that turned up. You know, everyone was you know brewing a chili beer, and um, you saw all these breweries. There was all of this excitement, and then it it went away very very quickly. Um, and you know, and actually before it went away, you know, you saw some people making beer, a lot of excitement, people saying, "Hey, there's money. You know, there's gold in them uh, hills." Um, you have a bit of a gold rush, and then it disappears very very quickly and uh you know i i I'm, so I, I spend a lot of time thinking about you know is that going to happen um now we're seeing a lot of expansion we're seeing a lot of uh people come to market we're seeing a lot of innovation um and, and i look at the, the business fundamentals because you know um just because everyone loves craft beer now will they in five years time um just because people are building breweries are they all going to, and people are buying beer are they viable at the unit cost that they can do? And uh, yeah, so look, th those conversations are always fascinating for, for me to hear how different people um, uh, approach it. And every brewer has a different you know, answer to, to the same question. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it sort of speaks to our point that we make, um, I can't remember if we made it in 
uh, in this particular podcast, but about you know when you when you the beer that you choose to drink. Um, it says something about the the hopes and the the dreams that you have for the future of of what we call craft beer in in this country. Well, every time you buy it, you you pay your money for a beer. You're casting a a vote for how you see the future of beer. Yeah, exactly. That's it. So, oh, mate, what a, what a nice sentiment to finish um, on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, no, very uplifting. Now, we do have some big names uh, coming up uh, on podcasts in the next couple of weeks. Do we ever? Things going to plan. Um, Stephen Beaumont, who's a Canadian beer writer, you know, again, another um, old stager in the world of craft beers. Probably, in fact, he's probably been uh, writing about beer since, you know, we were in, uh, we were drinking VB, yeah. um, Prof. And uh, I've got a lovely photo of you with a mullet drinking VB. Um, so Stephen's going to be joining us to talk about, you know, Stephen's a great guy. He's a little bit out, even though he's a North American, he's outside of that US bubble and uh, you know, always has some interesting things to say uh, about the industry up there. So we're having a chat to him. And then uh, we don't think that we can even announce the guest yet um, who we're going to be speaking to, but it's a, a North American craft brewer who may or may not be coming to uh Australia for something in some future time, um, and we're going to get the chance to, to speak to him. Um, I, I think in the I, I think in the industry, prof, that's called a teaser. I think so. Consider yourselves teased. Um, well, yes, and, and I nearly let out who it was because I forgot that we're not meant to be announcing who it was. So, yeah. such is the professionalism. But prof, always great to chat with you. Looking forward to having a beer with you very very soon, um, and yeah, catching up with you for another chat. But listeners, thank you very much for joining us. You can find us Australian Brew or BrewsNews.com.au. Uh, you can find follow us on Twitter, Ozbrews News, uh, and I'm Good Beer Matt. Prof, your uh, Prof Pilsner on Twitter. Uh, beer blokes. Beer blokes. Sorry, My, this is so confusing. Yeah, and Pete Mitchum on Facebook. And Pete Mitchum on Facebook. But listeners, thank you very much for joining us uh, for this thing that we call Radio Brews News. Always good to. Uh, have you as part of the conversation don't forget that you can uh, send us your thoughts and emails give us an uppercut or you know tell us to stop waffling um but whatever you do join the conversation let's strike out the band all good done and we're out beautiful prof that's gonna be a long thank one thank you very much we've got an hour 20 and now oh, the, the last one was now 40 so oh, we didn't have okay. any complaints yeah but that's the great thing about it. They don't have to sit and listen to it 